Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thanks, and what a passage, hey? And that, the picture of that passage, I think, was kind of uh, painted for us a little bit in both the songs we sang, The Crown Here With Many Crowns, there's that picture of the Lamb upon the throne, the centre of, of all, all creation's attention, and then even in the Glory Be to Jesus song that we sang with the kids. It's such a great and important vision for Christians to have in mind. It really sort of focuses our attention. We're going to spend a bit of time thinking about that and a few other things. Um, so let's pray. Lord God, as we look at your holy word, we just pray for your spirit to give us discernment and also a softness of heart that we might believe and respond. And would you engage us in global mission? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so one thing I didn't highlight about CMS is our vision uh, before, which is kind of where everything sort of falls from. You see at the top there, our vision is for a world that knows Jesus. Uh, that's quite bold, don't you think? What would that look like? A world, like, is that just like a section of the world? Or, you know, what, what does it mean? Um, what would it take? You know, how would you evangelize the whole world? Now, some people might say, well, that's impossible. Um, others might say, well, that's offensive. What about Jesus? What did he say about world evangelization? This is from Matthew chapter 24, just a sentence out of context, but he says, the, the gospel news of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so it's a word of prophecy. Jesus is saying, it, step one, the whole world will be evangelized, and then step two, then I'll return and we'll wrap things up the first world evangelization, and then the end of the world. Do you want a crystal ball trying to work out, you know, what's life look like? What's the future look like? The Bible gives us exactly that. It's not quite the way we might want it, though. Um, but that's actually what God's mission is all about. It's about that 
vision of the end of Christ's coming. And yet it actually involves us as well. It's not just something that we, we look at and we see it and we sort of say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, it involves us if we will participate. So that's the question. Will we? Do we actually want Jesus proclaimed in all the world? What about you? Do you actually want Jesus proclaimed in every single country, every single people group, in every single language? Yes. <laughs> Well, the title of this talk is Where Are We Up To With World Mission? And if we want to know where we're up to, we sort of need to know where we've come from and where we're going. And I'm going to look at that question in three ways. Where are we up to in the Bible story? Where are we up to in world history? And then thirdly, where are we up to as a church here at Barney's? What's it look like for us? So the Bible, world history, and our church. And we're going to do that all in 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> Let's get cracking. Um, so firstly, where are we up to in the Bible story? Um, we've recently, the church across the world has recently celebrated Pentecost. Did you celebrate Pentecost here? Um, just that, that remembrance of that Acts 2 moment of the, the spirit being poured out upon the church. Pentecost was a harvest festival. Uh, but God was la launching a new kind of harvest, not a harvest of grain, but a harvest of people. And so you've got this incredible moment in a, a handover from God the Son, who has been present in our world, walking as a man, who has inaugurated this new age through his death and resurrection, a handover from the Son to the Spirit. And then the Spirit takes that message about God the Son and everything that he's done and inaugurated and he energizes and equips the church, you and me, to go and bear witness to the rest of the world to that message. And so this is really, really significant, Pentecost, because it's the moment in the Scriptures where you and I step right into the Bible story. We're actually part of the Bible's unfolding picture. And you'll see yourself in that picture in just a moment. In the book of Acts, it all begins as a massive explosion. Boom. But, and it, so it's, there's like 120 believers before Pentecost, and a little while later in chapter 4, there's 5,000 believers. That's quite an, ex, quite an extraordinary explosion, isn't it? But then if we wind forward to the end of the Bible's picture, the book of Revelation that we've just heard from, where's all this heading? We heard from Revelation 7 verse 9. This is the Apostle John and, his, and the vision that God gave him of the end. I looked and there before me, so just kind of close your eyes and imagine what's he seeing. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Okay, so you can see this huge big group of people from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're wearing white robes, and they're holding palm branches in their hands. Can you see that? And then now, now activate your ears, uh, because they're crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Um, it's a picture of the future. And world evangelization has happened. When we get to this vision, world evangelization has happened. Everywhere you look, there's diversity, not in clothing in this instance, 
but in skin color and in cultural background, you're hearing different languages, people are laughing at different jokes because their cultures, you know, that's just the way culture works. All these cultures have come together, but you're in there with them. You're standing in this crowd and you've got people from Afghanistan and North Korea and Eritrea and Iran and everywhere in between. And you're there with them, aren't you? Yeah? I hope so. You're there with them, praising Jesus' glory and God's grace. And so the question is, what's happened between these two bookends, between um, uh, Pentecost and Revelation 7? How did it go from 120 believers to every tribe on earth and language being represented? Well, two things will have happened, and we see them in the passage. One thing that will have happened is that a multitude of people will have heard the gospel. And so there's a few clues to this. Um, the clothing, the white robes that have been washed in blood. Don't know if you've ever tried to wash clothes in blood. I hope not. It's not this is certainly not cleaning tips um, because they wouldn't come out white, would they? So obviously there is, this is a symbolic picture of something that has happened to these people. And when it talks about being cleansed by Christ's blood, it means they've heard the message that because of Christ's death, they can come before God eternally. God's death provides, Christ's death provides the open door for them to come into this gathering. I mean, think about it. You just wouldn't come up with this kind of message on your own, would you? This is not the sort of thing that you can make up. Oh, if, if we had blood and put it on, a, on, a, um, on clothing, it would become white. We wouldn't, that doesn't make sense. Like, similarly, if somebody died for our sins, we could be forgiven. That's not a human message. The only way you get that message is if the message has been told. It's not something we make up. It's something that is shared. But the second thing we know that has happened, not only has that gospel been shared, the second thing we know is that it's been shared across cultures. Because culture is complicated and we don't naturally and easily go and, you know, share cultures. And we might think, hang on, Australia, we're a bit of a multicultural country, country here. We, we, we like different cultures. I agree. You know, we like different foods and we like different, the idea of being, you know, from, you know, people from being from different places. But we're still pretty comfortable in the end we'd kind of prefer that everybody kind of becomes a bit like us that's kind of how culture works because it's not easy you don't accidentally cross cultures you cross cultures intentionally um, otherwise what would happen over time cultures would all dissolve and blend into each other a little bit like they do in Australia but in the rest of the world that's just not the way it works we stay in our, com our comfort zones we stay in our cultures we find it hard to understand other cultures. Sometimes we call them foreign. It's not a very nice word, is it, for people who come from a different place? I mean, we know why, because it's this distance, but foreign. Sometimes we hate other cultures, and racism has caused great injustice. But what we can see from this, this picture in Revelation is that the gospel has gone across cultures. And for that to happen, missionaries have been sent. It's the only way for this picture to actually become a reality is for people to take the message of the gospel 
across cultures. So in summary, this first point, God sends missionaries. How else do we move from Acts 2, Pentecost in, Jer in Jerusalem, to Revelation 7? Well, it's through the sending of cross-cultural gospel workers. So where are we up to? We're in the middle somewhere. The church has sent many thousands and thousands of missionaries over the years, but there are still many, many thousands of unrepresented people groups and nations and tribes in the world. So now is the time to be sending more missionaries. That's point one. Point two, where are we up to in world history? And quick survey of 2,000 years. Um, numbers do tell us a powerful story, not the whole story, but, um, okay, in Acts there are 120 believers. By Acts 4 there are 5,000. By the end of the first century, so maybe 60 or 70 years later, something like that, there may have been as many as 1.4 million Christians. And that's about just under 1% of the world's population. It's not bad for 60, 70 years, is it? Um, but check out where it goes next. So that's the next 500 years or so after that. By 200, it was 4.7 percent. By 300, it's 7.5 percent. By 400, 13.4. By 500, one in four people on the earth call themselves Christian. Wow. Um, now, were they all mature disciples? I doubt it. In our own country, just because people put Christian on the census doesn't mean they have saving faith. But it does mean that the gospel has, when, when people put that down, and we've got half the country who says that, it does mean the gospel has been preached extensively in Australia. People do have access to the gospel. And remember that Jesus didn't say that the whole world would be Christianized, but that the message about Jesus would go to the whole world. There is a subtle but really important difference. Anyway, what happens next? Graph two. Hmm. That's a long period there, by the way, from 600 through to 1800. Significant world population happens, and so the percentage actually uh, declines. There's the birth and spread of Islam as well. Um, there is an unusual spike in the, 13th, um, in the 1300s uh, that's connected with the Mongol Empire, and we're not going to go into details. A, um, and then there's this gradual increase post-Reformation. Reformation happens in the 16th century. Gradual increase until the incredible 19th century. Look at that. The revivals. There's a massive explosion in missionary activity during the 1800s, and by 1900, there's 45,000 Protestant missionaries out there or something, and multiple spiritual awakenings around the world. Um, and at this point, uh, some 34.5% of the world's population, one in three humans, are calling themselves Christians. So what was to come next? What's the 20th century gonna look like? <gasps> could, the, could the graph continue? Uh, I read an article recently by a guy called Doug Sweeney who said, and the article was called, When Did Evangelicals Stop Caring About Missions? Oops, uh, that's a confronting title, isn't it? But what he's pointing to is the fact that we were poised at the end of the 19th century there 
for an incredible 20th century. It was going to be the Christianity. But what happened? Uh, well, two world wars, dozens of genocides, massive population growth, an increase in Islam across Asia and Africa, 45 million Christian martyrs, along with the devastating decline in Christian commitment in Europe, followed by the rest of the West. And so we know this story, don't we? And we're, we can get depressed by this story. Um, in the Northern Hemisphere, or what we would call the West, in that period, the next bit that happens between 1900 and 2000, Christianity went from representing 80 odd percent uh, to about 40 percent. Crash. Doesn't feel good, does it, to be, you know, when you're looking at numbers like that. But what about overall percentages? What happened in the world overall? Where do you think this goes? Well, graph four, it doesn't really go anywhere. It sort of stays the same. It's a little dip. It's down there at about 32% as far as, they, as these stats go. Still the world's largest religion, still growing, um, not as fast as Islam. But what's happened? You know, we're in this post-Christian phase. Why haven't the numbers dropped further? You know, the West crash is crashing, apparently. Although, you know, God actually, I'm sure, has a different view on that. But what's happened is the Global South. We've heard of the Global South. Global South is kind of like, it's significant areas across Africa, Asia, Latin America. And during that period, Christian faith in the areas that I'm talking about grew from like 20% to 60%. It's been massive in some parts of the world. Um, many of the poorest parts of the world as well, and that in some ways is encouraging to us, isn't it? Because we think, you know, we, we used to say, what about all of the, you know, the tribes in deepest, darkest Africa? What if they don't hear the gospel? Well, Africa is now the center of world Christianity. There's more Christians in Africa than anywhere else, any other continent. And it's going to just keep going up and up and up and up. And <laughs> we keep thinking the center of Christianity is, you know, somewhere between, you know, England and Australia and the U.S., so where are we up to in world history? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a little bit complex. The, sh the whole zone has shifted, the center, the where Christians are and where God is at work. Surely the 21st century is actually a time for us to be thinking about what God is doing in other places, not just in our own. And I'm not saying that we should take our eyes off our home turf. We absolutely must. But we mustn't get... Um, afraid that actually somehow God has left the building and that Christianity is over. It's, by, it's far from over. God is growing the gospel in many parts of the world. In fact, we have a, an incredible resource, um, the massive heritage of English language theological resources and training expertise in the West that we can still share very profitably with the parts of the world where the church is growing so fast that often the leadership and the theological resources can't keep up. That's very much the picture in many of those parts of the world I mentioned. So we certainly don't give up on the West, but our concern should be for the whole world and what God is doing in the whole, the whole world in bringing us towards his vision in Revelation 7. So now is the time for sending missionaries um, maybe we send them differently from how we used to send them. We're often under attack for, you know, isn't that a bit, missionaries, isn't that kind of old and colonial? 
And the reality is we have to change, and we are, we've very much changed the way we think about mission. But the harvest is ripe and plentiful, and Jesus tells us to pray for more workers. And that brings us to the final point here, which is where are we up to as a church? Where are we up to with global mission? Where are you up to with global mission? Is this something you think about? Or it's just, you know, one of those things. It's kind of very hard to think about, isn't it? Because it's, it's distant and remote by definition. We're thinking about parts of the world that we just don't come across. So how do we do this? I am actually, as I said earlier, very encouraged by Barney's. It's a small church with a big heart for mission. Sending Kay, as I'll call her, I assume we're recording this, aren't we? Are we recording this? Yeah, so sending Kay, um, you know, but it's not just about the sending, it's the ongoing partnership that you have with her. But just let's do a quick pulse check on this today. Where are we up to? What do you think, the church? What does it look like for you personally? Are you connected with Kay in any way? Uh, can you see the Southeast Asian Christians and the African Christians there with you in Revelation 7 in that, in that vision? Can you see them alongside all those people who will be there because of the work that God has done through sending missionaries to them? So CMS talks about pray, care, give, and go. Pray for missionaries, care for missionaries, give for missionaries, and go and put your hand up to be a missionary. So let's look briefly at each of those four. Firstly, pray. Do you pray for missionaries? Obviously, we pray from the platform here, uh, but what about in your own private devotions? I don't know what are the things that you pray for, but do you pray that God's kingdom would come? I mean, Jesus taught us to pray that prayer, didn't he? Your kingdom come. I mean, what about God's kingdom coming in the countries that our missionaries are serving in? Praying for the work they're doing, for their protection against the enemy, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer as well, don't we? You know, deliver us from the evil one. I don't think we actually say the evil one, but in the text that's probably what it means. Praying for their provision, for the longevity of their ministry. I can tell you that all of our missionaries are doing it tough. I mean, they do it tough anyway, but at the moment there's just a bunch of things going on take my word for it, it's hard. I mean, I think the Davises actually, it's, it, you know, they're at the point where they're just about finished now, they're coming back in a month. Um, and so we can be praying for their transition back to Adelaide, uh, thanking God for the work, pr praying for the students in, in the TAFIS group that they've been ministering with and the staff of TAFIS. But you know, they're just a half a year ago or so, there was a real moment where it looked like it could have all been divided by, you know, well, division and, and difficulty. And, you know, it would have been quite challenging for the Davises to look at this and say, well, we've just been investing 10 years of our life here and, 
And is there going to be a division in this team that could make it all evaporate? And, you know, by God's kindness, that hasn't happened. Thank you, Lord. But they need us to journey with them in prayer. And what about Kay? We can be thanking God for time off that she's had recently. But praying for her as she still has a a big cultural mountain to climb. You know, she's still at the bottom of that mountain. She's still got a lot of climbing to do to try to work out how that culture works. It's just hard work for her waking up every morning and having to do life completely differently from how she's grown up. So please sustain her in prayer. Pray for her to have friendships for her own sake and for the gospel's sake, people that she can be sharing the gospel with. And as we know, it's a secure location. Pray for discernment about how to share the gospel in that context, but also the boldness to to do it, that balance between being wise and being courageous. Um, Pray for those things. So you do pray for the kingdom, don't you? I urge you to pray for mission. Secondly, care. We'll do this more quickly. You know, it's easy to think that care is kind of nice but not essential, isn't it? You know, the real business is pray and give, and if you're a super Christian, you can go. Um, But the whole agenda of mission comes about because of God's love. The mission is an outflowing of his love, isn't it? It's a kind of an expression of his love. And so at the very heart of what a mission partnership looks like is our love for Kay, for example, and for any others that we're partnering. And so it's not just about doing your duty and, Lord, please bless this person, bless that person, bless that person, dick. It's actually an investment, a personal investment and a growing of your relationship with that person as a church and as an individual as appropriate. Um, I also think that care, if we're thinking about care, I think I think it also comes down to caring about their location and their context. I mean they've gone to this place because of God's heart for this place and so we can care for the missionary. So look up the country on Operation World on the phone app for example before you pray for the missionary because there's just heaps of really cool stats about them. If you don't know what country people are in, um, you know, someone here will know and you can find out and that's cool. We just don't do it with the microphone going to the internet. So, um, but, um, you know, check out stats about the country because that can really help you to care about the country and pray for the country as a whole and, and about different ministries in the country. Love the missions and the people, people that they're serving. Thirdly, give. Okay, I know we're time poor, but we're not money poor. Okay, I know that groceries are stupidly expensive, and so is finance at the moment. But if we have money in our bank accounts, we have money. We are still stupidly poor. Sorry, stupidly rich, that's what I meant to say. We are really, really rich by world standards. And, you know, we've got to be able to give. It's just, and sometimes we might even need to make changes to enable us to give. Um, There's a song we sing, and there's a line in the song, and the song, and the line goes this, nothing in my hand I bring. Do you know the song? Anyone? Rock of Ages, that's right. 
When we sing, nothing in my hand I bring, it's, it's a really helpful line because it says, uh, I don't come to God, you know, sort of with a bad showing how righteous I am. I come to him naked for him to dress me in his, in his robe of righteousness. It's about not coming to him trying to show off about how good we are. It's not about us coming empty-handed. In fact, um, just as I was writing this a little while back, um, the very next day I went to Exodus 34 and read this verse. The very next day, no one is to appear before me empty-handed, says God. And a few verses down it says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. I think God actually wants us to bring our resources for his use. Sending missionaries is expensive, so maybe you think, well, CMS should probably cut back on our missionary standard of living a little bit. And that, you know, that may always be possible, but it's already pretty modest compared with many of us. When we think, when we think about putting our finances to work, you hear that expression a lot, don't you? Put your money to work. What we usually mean when we're listening to the community, to the society, is put your money into things that make more money. And that's, you know, sure, that's logical, it's a good idea, but put your finances to work in something that's going to be eternal, well, put them to work for the kingdom of Jesus because this is eternal. And so give to your local church. I, I urge you to be giving to Barney's if you're not already giving, not if you're a visitor, but um, give to the poor and maybe not just here in Australia, but also overseas, but also give to Global Mission. And whether it's CMS or some other agency, it doesn't matter. Just give. Release your resources for God. Fourthly and finally, go. Uh, there aren't actually a lot of people lining up for Global Mission. I have people in the pipeline, but not a lot. And so what about us? Let's have a look around. Who could we send? Anyone want to put their hand up to become a missionary this morning? Um, I will take um, your name afterwards, if you like. Um, or you could dob in a mate. Uh, that's another thing we could do. Look around and see if there's someone else we could send. Uh, you know, the person has to be willing. Um, but could this be a prayer goal over the next 12 months, whether we do this as a church or whether you just do this as an individual? to pray that God would lay it on our hearts who might be the next missionary? Is there someone else here who might be the next cross-cultural worker? Ask God to make that clear. Well, to finish, is global mission God's hobby? Something that he just does on the side or is it maybe his full-time job? Maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's his entire agenda and God never sleeps. Mission is everything to God. The whole Bible is pointing to this gathering in Revelation 7 and beyond in Revelation. It's all pointing at this. This is not a, not a hobby. This is what is on God's heart. It's the extension of his love and mercy into the world. 
the extension of his wisdom and his eternal righteousness, he shares it with us. He says, you too can be holy and blameless and with me into eternity. And mission is how that happens. It's the extension of his glorious vision for humanity. We saw very helpfully the picture of, what's gone now? Well, it's over there. Of the wonderful way in which God has made us. There's actually another phase that God has in mind for drawing us into eternal fellowship with himself. So let us pray, our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for sharing uh, this vision of what you have in mind, but also what's behind it, your whole agenda for humanity and for the world and for creation. Thank you for sharing your eternal life with us. Please engage us with what you're doing globally. Fill our hearts and minds with, um, with your global plans and purposes. Help us to pray and to care and to give and to go. We pray in Jesus' name.